Hello and welcome from Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. This podcast you're about to hear was recorded at our Burugun campus. So sit back, relax, and enjoy what God has to say to you. Good morning again and welcome uh, as we continue our series on being open to the Holy Spirit. And uh, just hope that uh, so far as we've sort of progressed this series in recent weeks that um, that you're with us and that you're seeking an increasing openness to the Lord in your own heart. Well, if you're anywhere near my age, and uh, (laughs) what's funny about that? (laughs) Uh, And you've been in Christian circles for a long time, you've probably heard of a guy by the name of Larry Norman. Back in the 1970s, Larry was considered to be one of the great pioneers of Christian rock. And uh, he wrote, he released more than 100 albums I read this week. Can't believe it. 100 albums, long-haired, wild-looking guitarist. Uh, no doubt frowned upon by the conservatives. One of his most famous albums was this album called Only Visiting This Planet, released in the early 1970s. Did anyone have that album? Look at you, you old rockers. Graham Mabry. Got a few hands. Oh, goodness. Let's pray for these. Lord, forgive them. (laughs) See, Mel didn't raise her hand. She was listening to The Seekers at that time. Something much more wholesome. It's true. (laughs) There was a famous song on that album called... Uh, I Wished We'd All Been Ready, which some of you might be familiar with. And uh, the song painted a terrifying scenario of uh, Jesus having returned to earth as he has promised that he will, whisking away his chosen ones, but you've been left behind. Here are some of the lyrics. A man and wife asleep in bed, she hears a noise and turns her head, he's gone. I wish we'd all been ready. There's no time to change your mind. The sun has come and you've been left behind. Now, I'm sure dear old Larry had good noble intentions (laughs) in writing that song. I'll tell you what, that song scared the living daylights out of a whole generation of kids. And I reckon there would have been a whole lot of people Maybe I was one of them who declared their faith in Jesus right there on the spot. (laughs) Driven by sheer terror. Uh, Not the greatest motivation. The the thought of Jesus returning and me being left behind, it's just a frightening thought. What if when Jesus returns, I'm doing something that I shouldn't be doing? (laughs) What if he catches me in the middle of some terrible sin. I mean, I went to the football on a Sunday a couple of weeks ago, on the Lord's Day. Yeah, well, I tell you, I saw a few Mount Pleasant people there. I was there on a mission. Sue Ford was there. Good thing Jesus didn't return then. We'd have all been in a lot of trouble. In all seriousness, we should give careful consideration to the importance 
of being ready, being ready for Jesus' return. And uh, you might know there are a number of parables in the gospel. Jesus um, talks about that very topic of, of being ready, the importance of being ready. Matthew 24, 44, Jesus says, So all, you also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you don't expect him. So how can we be ready and how can we live our lives in a state of readiness and how can we be sure even that we're really saved? These are important questions. Many, Christ, many Christians secretly wrestle with that very question and live their lives with lingering fears and doubts about their salvation. Am I really saved? been going to church for a long time I, I think I am but am I really saved maybe that's you so let's talk about that this morning and uh, seek some clarity from the scriptures particularly around the role of the Holy Spirit in that context so we were it's just a short reading this morning it comes from first Thessalonians some, some selected verses uh, let me read these to you 4 7 to 8 and then 5 23 for God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject a human being, but God, the very God who gives you his Holy Spirit. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. And may your whole spirit, soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. So how can we know that we're really saved? Well, I'd like to share with you four key biblical statements and then four key questions for us to consider in response. And the first statement is that when it comes to your salvation, it is God who calls. It is God who initiates. It might seem like an obvious statement, but perhaps it's not. And there's been an emphasis, I'd suggest, in the contemporary evangelical church, which I believe has been a wrong emphasis and the emphasis is on the part that I play in my own salvation. And the emphasis is seen in statements like this, I have decided to follow Jesus. You might think, oh, that's not, what's wrong with that? Nothing wrong with that. I've made a decision for Christ. I've weighed up all the religious options. I've considered all the evidence. And yes, Jesus is the one for me. That's my decision. Well, it's almost as though I'm doing God some kind of a favour by choosing to be on his side. And you might think, well, what's wrong with all of that? Well, it's not all wrong. Of, of course, you know, there's a faith response. Of course, there's a faith response. Uh, of course, there's a part that I play. Faith is necessary for salvation. But in the scripture, my point is, in the scripture, the emphasis is very much on God's decision and God's choice. Not so much our decision and our choice. Talking about emphasis here. So Jesus says in John 15, you didn't choose me. He says this to his disciples and therefore to us as well. You didn't choose me, I chose you. I chose you and I appointed you to go and bear fruit. This is the gospel. This is the wonderful emphasis of the gospel. God chose you. God's choice. God's heart's desire is for you to respond to his initiative, his invitation to adopt you into his family. This is what you were created for. 
a relationship with your heavenly father and inclusion in his family. And people say, yes, but what if he hasn't chosen me? What if he hasn't chosen me? What if I'm not one of the chosen ones? Well, it says in 1 Timothy 2.4 that God wants all people to be saved. God wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. Now, that's what God wants, but of course, not all will be saved. We know that, again, from the Scriptures. We all know there are many who stubbornly and steadfastly refuse to have anything to do with God. We all know there are people who actively reject God. They are in no way open to the Spirit. But see, the very fact that you are here this morning is an indication that you have a degree of openness to the Spirit. God is, God is calling you. He's calling you by name. The Father is drawing you to himself. And this is the work of the Holy Spirit in our midst. It's the Spirit who plants in you a desire to respond to him in faith. God initiates. He plants in you a desire to respond to him in faith and to begin a life that is lived in relationship with the Spirit of God. That dance of the Spirit, he's in, he invites you to it. And so a key question in relation to this first point is, am I responding to the call of the Holy Spirit in my life? Are you responding to the call of the Holy Spirit in your life? Second statement is that God gives his spirit as a deposit. Three times in the New Testament... Paul uses this image of the Holy Spirit as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come, a guarantee of your eternal inheritance. And so, you know, to use an earthly illustration, if you buy a car or a house or anything of significant value and expense, it's not unusual for you to put down a deposit, is it? And in putting down a deposit, you're saying to the vendor, I really, I really want this. I really want it. I really want it. I love it. I want it. And so here is my down payment, my deposit, something that I give in order to secure the transaction. So this, in a sense, is uh, what God does for you. He chose you before the creation of the world, we're told in Ephesians. Such is his love for you. And at the cross, as we've just been singing a few moments ago, he paid the price for your salvation that you might have eternal life. He's paid the price at the cross. 1 Corinthians 6.20 says, You are not your own. You were bought at a price. The price was not cheap. It was the very life of Jesus the Son. But as far as God is concerned, you are of such significant value. Again, think of that whole idea of buying a house or a car, something of great and significant value. You are of such significant value to God that the price is worth it. You are worth it. And so having paid the price for the salvation of humanity at the cross, God now comes to you personally, individually, and says, here is the deposit that I am laying down. Here is the deposit in your life, in your personal physical body, the gift of the deposit of the Holy Spirit, a secure, watertight guarantee of your salvation. 
that should be something of wonderful assurance to you. A deposit guaranteeing your inheritance. Next time you waver about whether you really are saved or not. A deposit guaranteeing your inheritance. Scott McKnight says this in his book. He says, if you have the spirit dwelling in you, then eternal life is in your future. (laughs) It's a certainty. The price is paid in full. The deposit has been put down. So in responding to God in faith, you and I, we receive the Holy Spirit and our physical body then becomes the temple of the Holy Spirit, the place where the Holy Spirit lives in your physical body. Therefore, honour God with your body. Paul says, 1 Corinthians, again, 1 Corinthians 6.20, that same verse. So hopefully you can see that if we, if we put too much uh, undue emphasis on our role in our own salvation, that whole thing, oh, I've decided, it's my decision, I've made the decision. If we put undue emphasis on that, of course we will be questioning whether we're really saved or not. We'll be questioning it all the time. If I look at my life, every single day I can find things that aren't right, reasons why I'm not worthy, I, you know, I don't, I don't qualify, unrighteous actions and attitudes that should seemingly disqualify me from eternal salvation. They should disqualify from me being counted among the chosen. If it were up to me, I wouldn't choose me. But thanks be to God, my salvation is not up to me. Primarily, it's a work of God who has given me his spirit as a guarantee of my eternal inheritance. So therefore, rather than me focusing on my life and my efforts, how much better, far better, to look at the Lord and look to the Lord and what he's done and what he is doing in my life by his spirit. And so then a key question in relation to this statement is, have I received the Holy Spirit? Have you received the Holy Spirit? (laughs) And if not, or if you're not sure, why would you not ask him? I preached a message a few weeks ago. How much more? You know, if you know how to give good things to your children, how much more does your Heavenly Father want to and long to give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? Why would you not ask? Third statement, by his spirit, God makes you holy. You can't make yourself holy. By your own efforts, you can't make yourself holy. This is a work and a role of the Holy Spirit. Your best efforts won't make you holy. Reading your Bible won't make you holy. Going to church won't make you holy. Spiritual disciplines like a daily quiet time or, or fasting or extended times of prayer, those things, they, I mean, they're all good things, of course, but they won't make you holy. Paul's prayer for the Thessalonians is that God himself, the God of peace, will sanctify them through and through. That word sanctify, just that's what it means. It means to make them holy. Paul says, Lord, would you make these people holy? It's God and God alone who sanctifies, or in other words, 
who makes you holy. Again, in McKnight's book, he says this. I'll just read you this quote. He says about the spiritual disciplines, he says, on their own, these practices don't accomplish the proper result. For these disciplines to do their proper work, we need to practice them as we are open to God's spirit. In other words, the spiritual disciplines are practices that are designed to make us open to the spirit and open to the presence of God, the God who is able to make you holy. And so this process of sanctification, which again is God's initiative and God's ongoing action, the work of his spirit in your life has uh, what we might think of as a, a twofold effect. Number one, God creates in you a desire to devote yourself to God. So those times in your life when you think, wow, I just have this hunger for God, a hunger for the things of God, a hunger for the word of God, a hunger to read his word. I just have this urgency in my spirit to pray. I feel this heart to, to grow, a desire to be with, with God's people. As I think about you know, the experience of worshipping with God's people, I think, oh, I don't want to miss that. As you think those things, those things don't just come from you. They are evidence of the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit in your life as you submit your life to him. That, that devotion that you sense of a, a desire, that's the work of the Spirit in your life. That's the first thing that God does in sanctifying you. He gives you that, that desire, that devotion. And then number two, he creates in you a desire to separate yourself from the things of the world. So again, those times in your life when you think, you know what, I don't want to watch, I don't want to watch that. I don't want to watch that stuff anymore. I don't want to do that stuff anymore. I don't want to engage in that kind of worldly activity. I don't, uh, and you know, as I come to think of it, I don't, I don't want to acquire for myself just more and more wealth so I can have more and more stuff for myself. I don't want that anymore. There's something within me that wants to separate myself from worldly attitudes and from, from darkness. Well, again, that something within is the Holy Spirit at work in your heart as you're increasingly open to him and cooperating with him and allowing him to do this sanctifying work. It's a beautiful thing in your life. This sanctifying work of drawing you closer to the Father and giving you that heart that wants to be a worshipper, a heart that wants to draw closer, a heart that wants to separate yourself from the things of the world. And so a key question in relation to this statement is, am I cooperating with, the, with that sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit in my life? Are you cooperating with the Holy Spirit? Because this is what he is wanting to do in your life. And finally, number four, God will present you blameless. There it is in verse 23. Just a beautiful thing. Uh, you know, it's verses like this that sometimes cause people problems. Jesus is coming. Amen. He is coming. And when he comes, he expects me to be blameless. What? Well, hang on. <laughs> well, I better get my act together then, hadn't I? But no matter how much I try, I just seem to fail and fall short every single time. I look at myself. I'm definitely not blameless as I look at my own life. 
And so therefore, this is the way that, you know, this faulty thinking can work in our lives. I'm not blameless, therefore I'm not ready. I'm not ready, goodness. I'm at the footy on a Sunday. I better not, you know, hope, hope it doesn't come. <laughs> so therefore I begin to doubt my own salvation. Or I wish I had a greater, a greater assurance of my faith, but I find these nagging thoughts, these nagging doubts and fears. I wonder if that's you. Well, if it's you, let me say you're in good company. Matthew 28, 17 tells us that when Jesus rose from the dead, the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. Then verse 17 says this, says, when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. I think, what? You're kidding me. These are, like, these are men who have, or probably men and women, certainly, but certainly 11 were men, who've lived with and worked with and walked with Jesus and watched him in all that he's done. They've seen the miracles. They've seen him go to the cross. They've seen him die on the cross. And then here they see him physically, bodily resurrected, standing before them. Like he's right, here he is, he's right here. And some doubted. (laughs) Wow, I just, I read that, I think, wow, what's that about? If they had their doubts, it shouldn't surprise us when we go through times of questioning and doubt about our faith. That's pretty normal. And if you never have any doubts like that, God bless you. That's, I mean, that's fantastic. And I'm, no doubt there are some here who would say, oh, I have no doubt whatsoever. Never. I never have had a doubt. God bless you. That's a wonderful thing. For the rest of us, take courage. It's pretty normal. And so in those times of doubt, we need to come to the Lord and ask for the help of the Holy Spirit, the indwelling Spirit. It's not our job, it's not your job to present yourself blameless at the time of Jesus' return. That's the work of the Spirit of God. We can't do that. You can't do that. You are not blameless. You are guilty. But in Christ, you are also forgiven. In Christ, There is now therefore no condemnation for you. And God is able. It's the wonderful promise of Scripture. It's there a number of times, but it's there most clearly in Jude 24. God is able. God is able to keep you from falling. God is able to present you before his glorious presence, blameless, without fault, and with great joy. God is is able to do that. You are not able to do that. But God is able to do that. Do you believe that? Do you believe God is able to do that in your life? And if so, then you are ready for Jesus' return. Larry Norman might say, oh, I wish we'd all been ready. You are ready. This morning, my hope would be that you can respond to each of those four questions with a resounding yes. Yes, I am responding to the call of the Holy Spirit. Yes, I've received the Holy Spirit who now dwells within me. Yes, I am seeking to live my life in cooperation with the Holy Spirit. And yes, I am ready, therefore, for Jesus' return. Yes, I am open to the Spirit. In a moment, we're going to be invited to sing a song together. Perhaps if the team would like to come and... um, 
It's a song that includes a declaration that the enemy can't take what I have or change who I am. I belong to you. And I want to encourage you to sing that song with great conviction as a declaration over your own life this morning. We do have an enemy. We have an enemy who is intent on nourishing our doubts and feeding our fears and reinforcing our sense of failure and of unworthiness. But greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Before we come to that song, I'd invite you to stand. Let's stand together. Just stand and I'd invite you to pray this prayer that uh, is on the screen this morning. Thanks, Em. It's a prayer that um, John Stott, actually, John Stott, the great John Stott, if you know your church history at all, John Stott used to pray this prayer every morning. Not a bad way to start the day. So if you would like to, let me encourage you and invite you to pray this prayer aloud with me now. Let's pray it together. Heavenly Father, I pray that this day I may live in your presence and please you more and more. Lord Jesus, I pray that this day I may take up my cross and follow you. Holy Spirit, I pray that this day you will fill me with yourself and cause your fruit to ripen in my life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Amen. Let's sing together. We hope you enjoyed this podcast brought to you from Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. Our prayer is that what was said today inspires you and strengthens you in your faith. If you would like to talk to someone about what you've heard today, you can contact the team during office hours on the number you can find on our website at mounties.org.au. Thanks for joining us. We look forward to having your company again soon. God bless.